0: We want to turn in the word of God, please, to 1 Corinthians and chapter two, where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. First Corinthians chapter two. And we're going to commence to read, please, at the verse one. First Corinthians chapter two, and commencing to read at the verse one. Now Corinth was a location just like Moy or Dungannon. And there was a church formed. And of course, a church is, for many people today, a church is a building. And Of course, biblically, that's not right. Um, I was recently down in County Monaghan, and I was traveling past what evidently would have been a Presbyterian church. But in huge letters outside, it said the meeting house of the Presbyterian church. And I thought, you've got it dead right. This is just a meeting house for the church. The church means Ecclesia, called out ones. So you have to be called out by God. You have to be converted to be part of the church. Otherwise, you're just really involved in religion. So the church here is people who have been converted to Christ are made saints. Again, another big word of confusion um, our the Roman Catholic religion says that if you do three miracles and the Pope and some others find out that they think you're worthy enough, then they make you a saint. Well, of course, that's something made up by that particular religion. There's no biblical precedent for it at all. It is completely contrary to the teaching of Scripture. But what the Bible does say, if you're uh, reading Corinth or Philippi or any other location, it's written to the saints And you mightn't feel like it, but whenever you came to Christ and received him as Savior, you became a saint. You're set aside by God. You're sanctified, set apart. You become a saint. I have been a saint for over 40 years now uh, in the biblical sense. There's still a lot of work to be done in me. I'm sure you're the same, but we become a saint when we're converted. And so this is to the saints at Corinth. And Paul's writing in chapter 2 and verse 1, and he said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul evidently didn't have a lot of confidence whenever he was uh, coming, although he was a very capable and gifted man. But he said, I came in fear and trembling. My speech was and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, Neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Amen, and we know God will bless the public reading of his inerrant word. Let's unite in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the privilege of coming to the throne of grace. We want to thank you, Lord, that we can come, come in our hearts to you. We thank you, Lord, that you're near to us by your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, for this congregation and the needs and, Lord, for every life that's here. And we pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon us. We ask that you would put a wall of hedge of fire around us, that your glory, that your presence would be in the midst, that we would hear your voice. We do, Lord, pray that you will, Lord, unstop our ears, open our hearts, and bless your word, Lord. I pray as I give myself unreservedly to you, Lord, all I am, all I possess, all I ever hope to be in this life, I unreservedly and willingly give it all to you. And I ask that you would cleanse me, sanctify me, set me apart. And fill me now with the Holy Spirit, so that the Holy Spirit can minister to lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can I just say that if others aren't aware, there's a if you do, and sometimes mothers, kind of difficulty with a child, if you do, there's a, a crash. Uh, I'm not telling you to go, I'm just saying that facility's there. It's always difficult. Sometimes preachers get into trouble, and they say to somebody, please bring your child out, and then the parent's offended. And then you leave the child, and then everybody's sitting around the child. They're all offended because they have traveled distance to hear the word of God, and there's a little child roaring in their ear. And so, the, the, honestly, the number of preachers I've met who have got themselves in a real headache. But uh, just be wise and sensitive to everybody else. And if you do that, then you'll find that there's never a problem arises. But uh, hopefully there won't. Many years ago in America in the 1800s, a man had purchased a piece of land with a wide river between it and another portion of ground. He built a beautiful mansion. And there he lived, and the early and formative years of his life, he got married, and they lived with family there, and he enjoyed, but there was a great river between him and the other portion of land, and he never found it necessary to look over to the other piece of ground because there was nothing there of interest to him. But over time, as his family grew up, his daughter got married, and then other members of the family got married. And they had children and they went over to live at the other side of the river. Each day as he came home from work, he would spend his time looking over the river to see what they were doing. Then as he went to bed at night, he would look out the window to see what they were doing. And this became a habit until it seemed as though he spent more time in his heart and his mind thinking about what was going on over the river than what was going on in his home. As we get older and as we come to the allotted span in our lives, if we're granted that, then we discover more and more and recognize that heaven is something God has promised to us, those who know and love the Lord. But I want to speak to you today about heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. You see, what many people feel to do, and sometimes we Christians are guilty of this more than any others, and that is to consider and to think more about what heaven is like and what it will be like if we know the Lord. The Bible has much, believe it or not, to say about heaven. It has much to say about what's not in it, but equally there is much to say about what is in it. But where many people have a problem is really saying, what can this place be like? Because it's so detached and cut off from the earth. And therefore, we very often just close the shutters down and say, well, we just don't know. But in Revelation 21, it says that in the last ages, that when all the events and affairs of life have been wrapped up, and the world has been essentially cleansed, and Satan is put in the lake of fire. What we discover is that heaven, the Bible says, comes down the New Jerusalem upon this earth, which will be completely renewed and renovated by fire. There will be no sea in it. There will be rivers, and there will be waters and so on, but no sea, which speaks, of course, of great division and trouble because the wicked are like the troubled sea. Sea always speaks of disturbance, but there won't be disturbance, there won't be separation in heaven. And so whenever we think of it, we consider that in Revelation, God says that heaven came down upon the earth so that God in eternity will dwell or tabernacle with his people. Heaven in many respects is similar to earth. We will eventually have a resurrected body if we go through death. The body that we have of clay has to decompose and go back. It's an earthy body. But of course, those of us who get older and get I say, of a congregation of a lot of youth here today, so maybe you don't think much about this. You will in time, but those of us who are a little older, you start getting pains, and though if you go to the old people's home, you find people, and the body's becoming a bit of a handicap, but inside there's a spirit, there's a soul, and, and it's as, as alive as it ever was, because our soul and our spirit never age. They don't get old. They're designed to live eternally. And that's why you sometimes find old people and they're still full of youth inside. It's just the old body is hindering them. And that death, they get the release because that body is not there to hinder them and they go to be with the Lord. But my message this morning is not about what heaven essentially is like. But it's how we can see heaven or experience heaven here on earth. Just as that man looked over the river, so as we get older, loved ones and people we have known and people we have shared with and people very often who have been counselors to us, people who have been friends, indeed as a Christian, people that we have leaned upon unconsciously, God removes them. And as this happens, as God removes rocks out of our life, as he takes those that we have leaned upon and got counsel and support and encouragement, as he takes them away, we are then encouraged by the Holy Spirit to fill those vacuums with our trust in God. And we lean more upon God We put our faith more in him and his promises. And of course, what we discover if we walk with the Lord is that the younger generation come come along, and hopefully if we live as God wants us to live, they begin to lean on us until the day comes when we must go and they must lean on God. It is God's order, and this has always been his way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says something which we often hear quoted, and it's in verse 9, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered the heart of man, the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Very often people quote that and then they stop, and that's a great injustice to the passage. Because it's, it's, like, it's like going into the Bible with a machete. Because it does say, I hath not seen, the physical eye. Ear hath not heard. The senses, the human senses that connect us with the physical world, our, our sight, our hearing, our touch, our taste, our smell, those five senses That's all we have to make us conscious of ourselves and conscious of the world and others. And if those five are removed, there is no consciousness to this world. And what he's saying is, those senses will not open heaven to you. Eye hath not seen, ear heard, neither hath it entered the heart of man, the things, plural, that God hath prepared for those who love him. But... But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. So the things that are closed to the human senses, to the unconverted man, God said, no, no, not to my people. He said, the Holy Spirit reveals those things to those who belong to me. And so the word that is utilized is that of revelation. You cannot get to know God through your intellect. You'll never find God through your mind because it can't. It doesn't have the capability. God never communicated with any man primarily through his mind. He utilizes the mind but doesn't primarily operate in the mind deep inside the core of every person, there is something that the Bible calls the spirit. You have a spirit. Now, to explain to you where it came from, uh, we must go to Adam when he's lying as a body formed of dust on the ground. And when God forms Adam, he's lifeless. He has all the capabilities, all the senses, but there's nothing there. And the Bible says that God came to Adam, and he leaned over him. And God leaned over him, and he breathed his breath into Adam's nostrils. I'm sure he did that because the first thing Adam saw when he opened his eyes was God, and that was always the way it was meant to be. God and man were meant to live in such close proximity And God breathed. And the Bible says when God breathed his breath into man, then something happened. The breath or the life of God came to the body of man and a connector was formed. And that connector is called the soul. The Bible says God breathed into into Adam the breath of life and man became a living soul. And so inside you there is a spirit, and that spirit has the capacity to know God. Not simply to know about God, but to know God. And that spirit, of course, whenever Adam sinned, that spirit died. And that's why whenever Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus He said in chapter 2, You hath God brought to life who were dead in trespasses and sin. We're born without God. We're born in sin. But we need God. And that's why Jesus Christ said, Except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, friends, where God works is in our spirit, and that's where he reveals things. God can reveal things to us in our spirit. And the more we mature as Christians, the more our spirit becomes active. Our spirit has five senses as well. Now, we'll not go into those this morning, but it does. To replicate the physical senses, our spirit has senses as well. And the more we mature as Christians, those senses develop, and they become very, very important in knowing God. Many, many years ago, I went to the Fifth Mission Bible College, and on the prospectus, I always remembered what it said. The purpose of coming to this college is not only to know the Word of God, but the God of the Word. And that should be the objective of every Christian. Not just to know the Word of God, but the God of the Word. So, how do we get glimpses of heaven? How do we experience heaven on earth? Well, the first one is very, very uh, apparent and very simple, and that is it is recorded for us. It's recorded. God hath revealed it unto us by his Spirit. Well, God has given us the most important basis for the reality of heaven, and that is the Scripture. I can remember as a little boy, it's one of my memories, as a little boy of about eight, and I know it wasn't long after my father had died, and I can remember sitting in the living room in the home, And I recall my mother sitting in a chair, and as a boy, I can remember asking her, obviously, about this issue of heaven had come up, because I have vivid memories of her telling me, as best she knew, what the Bible had to say about heaven. You see, dear friends, God uses first and foremost Scripture. The word of God lays down for us what it's like. And we can trust the scripture because all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. When Paul writing to Timothy, he said, For the prophecy, that is the scripture, came not in old times But holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit. Holy men of God were moved. Not just ordinary men wrote the Scriptures, but holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Word of God tells us what heaven is like. And I do think as Christians, we ought to spend more time thinking about it I do think we should, as though we were, I'm sure many of you, if you're going on holiday, you will do preparation and you'll find out what it's like. And you wouldn't, surely wouldn't go without any preparation of knowing where you're going. And you would want as many insights as you could. So as Christians, we ought to be like that, to have maximum insight into the place where we're going to go. The Bible says in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 that we, through the comfort of the Scripture, may have hope. The Word of God is described as a sword that cuts. It's a light that exposes sin. But one of the pictures of Scripture is that of a cushion a pillow, or a bed. There are times in life, in the Christian life, when you can't pray. There's times when you can't do anything. There's times like the Lord Jesus, when he was asleep in the boat, and the disciples were in the back with him, and everything was moving. And those disciples couldn't stop one drop of water and an ocean was swaying around them. And there was nothing they could do. But they were in the company of one who could control every molecule of water around them. He's Lord of the storm. And what they discovered was that there are times when we should wrestle in prayer. There are times when we should engage in Christian work. But there are also times when we must simply lie down and rest on the Word of God. Glimpses of heaven come through the Word of God. But more specifically, glimpses of heaven come through the reservation that we receive at conversion. Those of you who are converted this morning will, of course, remember something of the change. Now, for some, it's very dramatic. Others, it can be a little hazy. But nevertheless, there is that deep heart certainty that is almost inexplicable that I know that I belong to God. I know that I'm his child. I know that I'm going to heaven, the reason being, the Bible says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You see, I asked the Lord to save me many times as a young person. But when I was 16, 17 years of age, I went to a mission and the evangelist preached, and I can remember God speaking to me. I recall that. I, I experienced that. God was speaking to me about my sin, speaking to me about my destiny, about my demise and my death and my mortality, and all those things he's, He spoke to me about. And He also showed me that He had died for me through the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus. And I can still remember the night whenever, uh, as he spoke to me, I I very tentatively but forcefully came to Christ and said, Lord, I, I'm really sorry for my sin. Everything... This preacher has explained about sin. That's me, and and, and you come into the world to save sinners, so you must have come to save me, and, and I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry, and I'm opening my life to you, that you would come in and save me and make me your child. And dear friends, I didn't know the hymn at the time, but these are the words that I could have quoted had I known them. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole, my sins were washed away, my night was turned to day, heaven came down, and glory filled my soul. I didn't know at the time, but I had become a child of God in the teaching of the Scripture that I had received, what the Bible calls the witness or the seal of the Spirit. Paul talks in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, he says that we are sealed by the Spirit, quench not the Spirit, whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. And that word sealed is very interesting because it talks about cargo that is coming from a foreign land to a port. And that's what Paul's thinking of. And he thinks of perhaps timber that arrives in a port. And in those days, in the days of Paul, whenever it it, it arrived, there wasn't really much paperwork. But what would happen is, whoever had purchased it, there would be a seal taken, and the seal would be put on the timber, or whatever it might have been, and that mark, that stamp was put onto that product, and anybody coming along would know, no, we can't take that, that belongs to so-and-so, his seal is on it. And whenever a person receives Christ as Savior, God puts a seal on them they belong to him, sealed by the Holy Spirit. And of course, when that happens, it brings great joy, and that's one of the greatest joys of being with people whenever they come to Christ if you've had the privilege of being with a person who is under conviction of sin and they want to come to Christ and you are utilized by God in some way and you're with them, whenever they receive Christ, you very often can see or perceive or witness heaven coming into their soul. And so the reservation brings this sense of heaven. I know I belong to him. That's my destiny. But then, of course, friends, the Bible says God hath revealed it, that is, heaven and the things of heaven and the things of God. He has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. It seems to me that if the Spirit is the one who does the revealing— then we ought to be opened maximum in our lives to the Spirit. We have to be open to the Holy Spirit for the Holy Spirit to really communicate more and more with us. One of the places where this occurs, of course, is in the place of prayer. Now, for those, and I know there are people converted here today, and perhaps you have never really been in prayer meetings where God's presence came down in power. I want to say to you, with the greatest love of my heart, you have no idea what you're missing. You have no idea. Really. Because my experience in Christian life, and that of many I've talked to, is that it's one of the unique places where the atmosphere of heaven can come to earth. Now, I'm not talking about the average church prayer meeting, because many church prayer meetings, sadly, have an atmosphere where you simply, after half an hour, you just long to get out of them. I understand that. I've been there, and you find yourself just praying, God, please get somebody to close this. This is torture. It's like Protestant purgatory. I've been there. I'm not talking about that. My first recollection of this in my life was many years ago before this work actually began in College Street in Armagh, when Bertie and myself and a few others met for prayer. It was obviously something in God's timetable, but I can recall meeting in my very early 20s, 21 or two, and being in those early morning prayer meetings at 7 or half 7, whatever time they were and meeting most mornings, certainly three or four a week at the start. And I can recall getting up so early to go to those prayer meetings because they weren't like church prayer meetings. (laughs) And there was one particular day that I recall for me when I experienced something that I had never experienced before of an atmosphere of heaven. When heaven came down, our souls to greet, and glory crowned the mercy seat. I've been in many since. And I have to say that when I go to prayer meetings now, if that doesn't occur to some extent, I'm very, very disappointed because I know that God can come down in among his people. He can bring the atmosphere of heaven. It's so real, my friends, because it's inexplicable. You can't define it. But there's a presence, and that presence is holy. It is so clean. That presence is so bright. That presence is so satisfying to the very depth of your being. It's heaven, a little bit of heaven, coming down on earth. It's interesting that before every awakening and every move of the Holy Spirit, that it is always preceded by such praying. It's like everybody who prays who's being prepared for whatever God wishes to do in that generation among his people and the unconverted, it's like God has to make them heaven-conscious first so that they can be of use on earth. So the more that you encounter God... Now, this doesn't just have to happen in the prayer meeting, but it's a good place to start. It happens in your own heart, and it's transformative. Because when in your heart you encounter God, your heart is changed. You are changed. The Bible says, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The atmosphere... The Bible says that whenever Solomon, at the building of the great temple, when he had made an end of praying, that the fire of the Lord fell on the altar and the sacrifice. The Bible says that then the great glory of God, the imprint of God's presence, that's, that's the effect of the glory. People say, what's the glory of God? What do you mean by the glory of God? I can't say that I know a lot about the glory of God. But what I can say is just as if I walked on snow, I would leave an imprint and you would know that I had been there. I would leave a permanent mark. That is what God does when his glory comes down. He leaves an imprint that is permanent. It can't be wiped away. It can't be denied. It is something so real that the saints cannot fully recover from it. Whenever the fire fell, the glory fell. And then the Bible says, when the glory of God had filled the new temple that was dedicated to God, that the priests were unable to minister to the Lord and that the people fell on the pavements because the glory of the Lord had filled the house. My friends, that day heaven came down and the people experienced it. Oh yes, by revelation you can experience the atmosphere of God. But then, on the path of life as a Christian, the life of the Christian is one of sacrifice. Now, I know that many Christians find this offensive at times. I'm always reminded of the great revival that happened in Saskatoon. Uh, Bill MacLeod was the, was the main instrument, but it was a wonderful move in the 1970s. You can still look it up on YouTube. find it very fascinating, the great revival in Saskatoon. And whenever that occurred, there were two twins, they had been Roman Catholics, they became Christians, and these two twin brothers were the main revivalists. And they shared that in the early days of the revival, as the people came in their thousands to hear the word of God, and as the presence and power of God was converting people, they got up night after night and preached the gospel, and conversions were taking place. But then one night when they were preparing, the Lord spoke to the two twins, and he said to them, I would like you to speak to my people. And of course, being obedient to the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit knows the need. So often people in the congregation feel they know the need, but it's the Holy Spirit knows the need. And the Holy Spirit spoke to these two men who were open to him and just wanted to obey him. And the Holy Spirit said, I want you to speak. And so they began to speak to the Christians about how they were living. Well, it's quite humorous when you listen. The twins said, well, we had no real kickback when we began to preach to the unsaved. In fact, all the Christians were... Fists in the air, hallelujah, conversions, people coming to the Lord. But he said, once we began to preach to the Christians, no fists in the air, no hallelujahs, not good. He said, we got some kickback. It's not for us. But oh, my dear friends, the Holy Spirit knows our hearts. So often, I find people come to see me on a regular basis, and I find a repetitive story that I have to share with them, and I'll share it with you this morning. They have whatever problem it is in their life, and we share and talk and go through whatever the issue is. And invariably, it will always come to something they need to do that they haven't yet perhaps done. And I draw their attention to Ephesians chapter 3, where it says that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. And I try to illustrate what that verse meant. Now, it was written to Christians, by the way, not to unconverted. It's written to Christians. Paul is praying. He said, I'm praying that Christ will dwell in your heart by faith. When people come to visit me, I have a very good wife, and she's very hospitable. And if you come to our home, whoever you are, you'll be invited in. You'll receive a cup of tea or something like that. And we would try to be as uh, amiable and hospitable as we could be. And undoubtedly, you would be the same to us. And then later on, we'd say goodbye and you would leave. And that would be normal. I'm sure your home's the same. But if you happen to get up and you walked up the stairs and you opened my wardrobe and started poking through my jackets and pulled my shoes out, and then you began to open drawers to look for this, that, and the other, and you were doing that upstairs, I would turn to my wife and I would say, either there's something not right here, or this is totally unacceptable. This is not acceptable behavior to come into somebody's house and just go upstairs and It's just not right. I think you would agree with me. When we get converted, we treat Jesus like the former. We bring him into our lives and we give him the best cup. And we're so grateful that he has come and that we know him and that he's now our friend. We're so grateful for all that he has done for us and we're very appreciative and so we are kind to him. But after we become a Christian what Jesus begins to do is he starts to walk up the stairs. And he starts to poke into our suit. And while you maybe never have thought of it in that way, what very often your reaction may be as a Christian is, I don't like what's been said. But all you're really saying is, I don't like Jesus being rude in my life. I've given him tea. I have invited him in. What all does he want? I'll tell you, my friend, what he wants. He wants you to say to him, not only will we give you the best tea, but you can go through any room in my house. You can go to any cupboard that you like. And anything in that house or room you don't like, you can get rid of. See the furniture? Change it, whatever you think. See the color of the room? Whatever you like. And when you give him that freedom, that's what Paul said. He said, I'm praying for you Ephesian people that Christ will feel at home in every area and department of your life. He said, that's what I'm praying. You see, friends, this is what I have discovered. I don't know about you, but this is what I have discovered. I'll carry the illustration a little further. That whenever I let Jesus do that, He has gone to a cupboard somewhere that I was unconscious of. And he has opened a door of a cupboard and in big black words, there's sectarianism. He said, I don't like that. I don't like that. He has gone into another cupboard and opened it out. And it's black as well, and it's lust. Then he's gone into another room and pulled a cupboard I didn't know about, and there's a tongue that the Bible says is set on fire of hell. You see, my dear friends, listen. Do you know what what Paul said? Paul said, I judge myself. Paul was always judging himself. That's why he said, no man judges me. Do you know why? Because Paul spent time with God to let God get into all the cupboards. And what you'll do is, if you let Christ dwell in your heart, the Holy Spirit will reveal things that he doesn't like. And if you repent and you bring that to God, whatever it might be, I don't know, I don't know. God will bring forgiveness to that area of your life and he'll bring healing and he'll bring his purity and Jesus will cleanse that area and you'll become more and more Christ-like as the Holy Spirit does his work inside. You see, friends, the path that we're on is a revelatory path. That's how we get glimpses of heaven. Heaven. On the path, as we obey God and yield to him, suddenly God can give us little gems from him. God can give us revelations of him. The Bible says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. On the path. As God intervenes some way in your life, as he answers a prayer so supernaturally, that it can only be him. My dear friends, these are little glimpses of our Father coming to us on the path. Well, very quickly, not only, my friends, is there the Scripture and the conversion and the atmosphere and the path, but there's something that Paul alludes to in the passage that we have read together, and those who are discovering their giftings in God Because we all have gifts, and those gifts are to to be utilized in the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God and for the edification of the church. And whenever those giftings are given to God and released by God to be utilized in our lives, we find an enabling. Now, look, look at the way Paul puts it. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is alluding to this very thing. He said, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul said when he was thinking of these Corinthians, he said, you know, I remember when I came to preach to you people. And now you're a church. And he said, I can remember you Uh, coming in and you were sinful and rebellious and he said I came shaking he said I really was so overwhelmed by how I would deal with this and he said I was terrified that I would leave behind a load of old false professions and he said I tried not to be smart I tried not to uh, put any confidence in myself or in my wisdom or my knowledge but he said as I'm sharing it with you my mind runs back, and I can so remember what happened. He said, when I began to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, I experienced the demonstration of the Spirit. He said, something of God came upon me. He said something of the power or the dynamite of heaven. He said, that came upon me. And he said, I was aware of it whenever I was preaching it. He said, that was the kind of experience that I had as I preached. I knew that heaven was flowing through me. I knew that the power of God was flowing through my life and that the Holy Spirit was using that same power to bring deep conviction of sin into your lives and you come under conviction and then God converted you. He said, I remember that. It wasn't only you who were moved by the power of the Holy Spirit, but I was moved as well. And my friends, whenever we have the enabling of the Spirit in our lives, then we experience something of heaven, something of heaven's help, heaven's assistance. A.W. Tozer rightly said that whenever the Holy Spirit is filling a Christian, it's a bit like the poker. You remember those who are much older, you remember when with the open fires, and you put the poker into the fire. Maybe if you were like me, you got into trouble because you were always, if you poked the fire, you were putting the fire out, but it was always nice to poke at the fire. And when you put the poker in and you left it long enough, something happened. When you pulled the poker out, it wasn't just the poker anymore. It was the poker and the fire. They had fused together. The two had become one. They were inseparable. The fire was in the poker, and the poker was in the fire. The two were fused together as the poker stayed in the fire. But yet, if you left the poker out of the fire, the fire left the poker. It just left it. And you just did the poker. So, my dear friends, Paul says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep being put into the fire. Keep letting the poker become hot. Yes, my friends, on the path and the journey of life, heaven can come to us through the enabling of the Spirit in ministry. But the final one I want to draw your attention to is one that we look to in the Old Testament initially as I close. Whenever we read of Adam in the Garden of Eden, of course, we know the Lord came to him every day in the person of Jesus Christ. Every evening the Lord came and spoke. This was before there was sin. God came and talked to Adam. But I don't know whether you've ever thought of this, but the both dimensions were real to Adam. The dimension of the spirit world where the Lord came every day and the physical world where he worked with plants and the physical. The two dimensions of the heavenly and the earthly were both there. There was no problem. When sin came, then there was the veil came down and the heavenly was cut off. That dimension was cut off and death entered. Do you remember Elisha, whenever Elisha was in trouble because the king of Aram, do you remember king of Aram, he was wanting to attack Israel? And every time he went to attack, what happened was Elisha would tell the Israelites and tell the king what was going on. Eventually, the king of Aram got so, so annoyed because there was somebody that had a bug Somebody who had inside information about everything the king of Amram was planning against Israel. He was always outwitted, and he got so angry that one day he said, Who is a spy among us? Which of you is telling this man all about us? And of course, they replied and they said, It's not us, sir. It's Elisha, the prophet. He tells the Israelite king everything the master says in his bedroom. Then of course he said well we're going to go and get this guy so they send the army and the army comes and it surrounds the city where Elisha is and Elisha's servants with them and the servant he's really really stressed because he looks around and he sees the chariots of the king going round he sees them surrounding the city and he said to Elisha the prophet he said listen we're surrounded The enemy has come to take you. We're in trouble. And what did Elisha say? Lord, open his eyes. And the Lord opened his eyes, and and he saw the chariots of fire, and he saw the horsemen thereof, and he said, there's more of us than be with them. Hmm. In the Old Testament, God on occasions would open up the window to the other world. He does it in the New Testament as well. There's many references, whether it's Stephen's death or others. But there's occasions when God is pleased to open up that window and see things that you just couldn't know any other way because what does the Bible says? The Spirit knoweth all things, yea, the deep things of God. He knows everything. Glimpses of heaven. Well, recently I had a few losses in my life of people that I loved very, very dearly and people that loved me and were really friends to me. And they were taken, thank God, to heaven. But after one of them, my brother died. There's two ladies that I know. In fact, I know more than two ladies, but two in particular. and They often get insights from God. They get, God shows them things. I have proven over many years now of knowing them that they have been so accurate in things that they have told me, things they have showed me which proved to be dead accurate, although I didn't know at the time. It's what some people would maybe call a word of knowledge. The Holy Spirit knows all things. He can reveal as he wills. But the interesting thing was this, my friends, was that when that bereavement occurred, A few days afterwards, I heard from those both people, separately, independent of each other. And they both told me about an event that was happening in heaven with my loved ones. And they told me just a few things that were going on. But here was the interesting thing. They were both telling an identical story. they both saw the same thing. And they sent it to me. And it brought great joy to my heart. Because, friends, this is not heaven. The ministry's not heaven. Church life's not heaven. This is all the problems and difficulties. But listen, heaven is ahead. Heaven is Ahead. We can get glimpses of it here on earth as God chooses to give it to us. But thank God, like the hymn writer, I am going to a city where the roses never fade. Here they bloom but for a season. Soon their beauty is decayed. I am going to a city where the roses never fade. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you, Lord, for your great love to us in Christ. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you will work in hearts today, bring comfort, bring strength, bring grace for the journey of life, meeting the needs of all who are gathered and working on by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.